every single marketer and every single brand should be attempting to earn a disproportionate share of conversation. If you work for an organization where they say, bring us a chart that goes up and to the right, you have a challenge. Half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. The trouble is, I don't know which half. I am here to inspire you, to excite you, to motivate you, to transform you, to energize you. Hello and welcome to Demand Gen Visionaries. This episode features an interview with Christy Milani, CMO at Telesign. Telesign provides continuous trust to leading global enterprises by connecting, protecting, and defending their digital identities. Christy brings with her over 27 years of cross-functional marketing experience, leading global marketing teams across demand generation, campaign creation, events, web, digital transformation, and more. On this episode, Christy shares her insights into why it's important to make your website feel like a virtual concierge, why successful marketing is people-based, and the way empathy enhances marketing. But before we get into it, here's a brief word from our sponsor. Demand Gen Visionaries is brought to you by Qualified. Qualified is the pipeline generation platform for revenue teams that use Salesforce. You can intelligently grow your pipeline by understanding the signals, buying intent, and having real-time conversations right on your website. You can learn more at qualified.com. So please enjoy this interview between Christy Milani and your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Demand Gen Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. And today I am joined by a special guest. Christy, how are you? I am well. How about yourself? Oh, I'm doing very well. I got no complaints. And super excited to chat with you today about all things Telesign and your background and demand and marketing. So let's get into it. Did you have a first job in Demand Gen? Yes. My first job in demand gen wasn't probably referred to as demand gen because this was well before the time that we were calling it that, but I worked for Anheuser-Busch and I actually was putting on physical events to create demand for our beer versus other brands and realizing pretty quickly that I was doing demand generation because it was getting people excited. And it's actually not as easy as you think to create demand with inebriated people. You would think that they would be easy <laughs> to convince, but they're not. So it was a, it was a good place to start because it kind of crossed over into sales and demand gen. How fun is that? Do you use that that technique still, or are you doing some tastings with your uh, your telesign customers? Yeah, you know, I like to keep them sober. <laughs> I think it's it, they're much better to explain things to. But it was a very interesting job, especially right after college. Too funny. Well, let's <laughs> let's get into our first segment, the trust tree. With the knowledge you've been given, you are now on the inside of what I like to call the circle of trust. What, I thought we were in the trust tree in the nest, are we not? Where you can go and feel honest and trusted and share those deepest, darkest demand gen and marketing secrets. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about Telesign. Yeah, so Telesign, sort of when we talk about what our mission is, we exist to make the digital world a safer place and really protecting companies and their consumers against fraud creating secure communications, enabling that digital economy to happen in a safe and trustworthy place. 
So we're in the trust business. And so we've got our data science and APIs. If you're using an app for finance and you're going to be making a transfer, we want to make sure that it is the right person making that financial transfer. It's actually me requesting that from my bank and that the bank knows And I know that this is actually my bank that I'm transferring to. So it's much more than two-factor authentication. That's what people think about. What's that code that you put in? But we're sort of in the back with this continuous trust, with account integrity, onboarding, those secure interactions, making sure you are who you are and who you say you are. And we've got eight out of the 10 biggest internet brands are using TeleSign in the background to make sure that we're dealing with real people instead of fraudsters. Yeah, I know, indeed. And so tell me what it means to be CMO at TeleSign. What's what's in your purview? So I am celebrating my year anniversary today. And what I was really brought on for was to create a marketing department. And I look at it from what was the minimal viable product, and it's going to be all things marketing. And so that includes the positioning, the storytelling, the brand creation. We just launched a new brand. It's also really heading up a lot of that go-to-market synergies with sales and customer success and also product marketing. And then we recently also took on the portfolio strategy mapping and the management of that to make sure that what we're building, we can market, we can sell, and we can retain people. So it is all of your traditional marketing pieces, but we pulled in in a couple of other of those components to try to get that go-to-market engine, I refer it to as the village, to make sure everybody is working towards the same goal. And I love to partner with my peers and try to use the superpowers in other ways as well, if it's not even just marketing, but culture ambassador, the sponsor to our women in telesign group and being a sounding board for our CEO as much as I can as well. That's cool. The village. So when the village is working on your go-to-market, who are your ideal customers? Who are you selling to? What does that buying committee look like? So we sell predominantly to a product manager or a developer, someone in the engineering space. So we're a little bit lower than kind of the C level, if you will. What I think about is I want to make that developer, that product marketer who's developing that app, make them the hero to show that they have a protected solution. And so when we say connect, protect, and defend, we want to tell that Mr. or Mrs. Developer that we are going to make you a star because you're going to create something that hopefully is impenetrable from the bad guys out there. And so that buying committee often can be two to four people, but it's not as extensive as some of the other demand gen audiences that I've worked through. And what size companies are you usually talking to? Mid-market to enterprise as well, but it's less about the size of the company and it's more about the reach that their product has. So if you think about we're on usage base, right? So if we are talking to a customer who has a million customers that they need to onboard, they might be a smaller company, but their use case is going to be big because they've got a lot of things that are happening, a lot of transactions, whether it's on-demand services, 
e-commerce, fintech, healthcare, gaming. Those are kind of our key vertical areas. So yes, we've got sort of that enterprise motion, but we're starting to see that there could be even smaller companies that actually have a really large reach and audience pool. So that's where you also need to delineate between the message and the buying centers. Do you have a defined marketing strategy, Christie's strategy, and how does kind of demand fit into that? This was a little bit of a unique experience, which is one of the many reasons why I was so excited to join Telesign was that we were at this moment, you know, we're a 17 year old company and not a lot of people know who Telesign is, what we do. And so part of that was the strategy was to build a brand, to build a mission. What is our mission? It's to create a safe, worthy place for everybody on the internet. So we spent a lot of time on look, feel, tone, voice. What are we saying? What's the elevator pitch? So people don't relegate down to, you know, it's that code you get because it's a lot more than that. And then in parallel, starting to create those use case campaigns that start to talk about it from a solutions standpoint. And I'm a big fan of marketing solutions rather than skew by skew, because we know that that's a larger share of wallets. It's a little stickier that you can be with that customer. And that was really part of that playbook was first, we have to figure out who we are, what we want to be known for, enable sales. And then go and start to create the demand. I kind of equate it to, I can't ask you to marry me on our first date unless it's a Netflix special. (laughs) (laughs) I have to to explain who we are, what the benefits are, go on a couple of dates before we're ready for the altar. And so that's where I think our job is, is to get that person along in that journey. Yeah, it's so important to start with the why. I think that's something that a lot of... A lot of marketers as they come into the role is, is our company why good enough? And people at the end of the day, like they want to get their, their unique problem solved. That's why there's a bunch of different vendors that are trying to solve that unique problem. Right. And so how do you differentiate? How do you win the deals that you're in? How do you do that stuff? Or do you feel like a transactional sort of vendor that is just like, yeah, they're going to do this thing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's part of the, I kind of talk about it of, you have to know the customer's pain and we have the aspirin, but if you're not actually talking to the right people, you don't know what their pain is. I am not a target audience of Telesign. So I'm not buying that type of technology. So I have to make sure I'm talking to people that are. I've been in so many situations where I remind people, you're not an IT decision maker. So you have to go find out what an IT decision maker's challenge is, if that's your audience. It doesn't matter if you don't like it. (laughs) you're not the wine buying Salesforce for the organization. It's one of the most obvious things, but anytime you're working with a technical audience or especially developers, don't like to be sold to, don't like Mm -hmm. to talk to salespeople that's inauthentic. I always think it's funny because I'm like, oh, we as a marketer, I guess we, we don't care how authentic it is. I'm like, I think we all want stuff that's authentic. But I think we understand as marketers, if you're getting something, an event that's a little glossed up, that uh, all right, maybe we like a little a little extra gloss yeah. on things. Right. Um, well, we can't. I mean, we can't help it, right? It's the we're marketers. We also want to be creative, but you can be creative with your words and creative with the way you can find and attract and retain 
it doesn't need to be splashy all the time. And at the end of the day, no matter the job title, we are still all humans. <laughs> and at the core of it, we're all going to react differently to different things. Don't forget that we're marketing to customers, people, no matter the title. And I think that is where people forget. And so, so test it, right? Yeah. I mean, test, go test. It's not that hard. And if it fails, it's okay. I think about content marketing all the time because that's what we do is make shows. But one of my biggest pet peeves with content is that so many people make one size fits all content or like big tent content. And like a, a lot of their stuff is like, I want to get in front of the CMO and the CDO and the CIO. And I'm like, well, they don't like hang out in the same places. They don't no. go to the same bars. They don't, right. we don't you know, care they about don't, the same things. Yeah. Sometimes. The one size fits all stuff. It's just super silly. And it's content is a good place to look at that because of course, it's right there in front of you. And it's also even content to the same person is going to be different depending upon where they are in their journey Yep. as well, right? At the very top of funnel versus the, ooh, I'm 70% of the way there by the time I get to the website. It should feel a little bit more closer. Content's such a hard one. You know, that's the business you're in. It is a hard nut to crack. But when you do, it's pretty solid. That's... Yeah. And that's the thing that I think that we've seen most of all with the rise of all these different apps and technologies and things like you, you I think you really have to meet people where they are and where they're yeah. consuming in the manner in which that they consume. Okay. Well, let's get even more tactical here. Let's go to the playbook. This is what's great about sports. This is what the greatest thing about sports is. You play to win the game. Hello. You play to win the game. Let's talk about those tactics that help you win. Yeah. What are your three channels or tactics that are your uncuttable budget items? So search is definitely one. The paid search as well as the SEO side. And I had a leader many, many years ago said, I think people would just come to the website anyway. And I said, okay, let's do an experiment. Let's turn it off. And of course, my teams, no, we can't turn it off. I said, let's just turn it off. And within three days, I was told quickly, can you turn that back on? Said, <laughs> Absolutely. But sometimes you need those jarring tests to say, why is that something that we do have to continue to invest in? Because somebody doing a search is a hand raiser. It means I've gotten that far to care about it. So never would cancel that out. I also think the PR side is one. I'm a PR person at heart. That was my major eons ago. And I think the storytelling, the analyst relations, the social side, it's the paid, earned, and owned. I mean, that's really when I look at the three things, because the third for me is the website. You got to invest in the website. And I often see that being the least invested item, even though it is the most visible piece of your brand to where it's got to do a whole heck of a lot without personal interactions. Yes, there's the bots and things like that. But so I would definitely say search PR and the web slash kind of digital properties are sort of non-negotiables for me. Let's dip into the last two a little bit. Can you dive into your PR strategy a little bit? I'm curious that, that you said that that is uncuttable. Well, and I also think too, in the journey of telesign, again, sort of looking at, we had the work to do to tell our story 
in a very articulate fashion, to be known as a digital identity company, you have to create thought leadership. You have to give people a reason to believe and trust, again, going back to our magic word, of why would you trust us to help power your continuous trust loop there? And so thought leadership, placing articles, mat releases, when you don't have a ton of products that you're launching on a, on a weekly basis, you have to create the news to be able to be top of mind. And we didn't previously have a, a super strong analyst relations program, and now we do. And you got to have the people in the industry knowing what you do and knowing how to talk about it, because again, there's definitely the people who will go and reach out to the industry experts and say, show me the magic quadrant. Where does this company sit? Well, if you're not investing in those relationships, that's not something that just organically happens. Maybe it does once in a blue moon. You're lucky if that's happening without a con you know concerted effort. And it's also on the flip side is go talk to the, in, the analysts before you're launching things. I showed a whole slew of, of industry analysts our brand and messaging before we launched it. Cool. So get a chance to actually chime in on it. And then they're going to be even more invested once it's out in the market of, oh yeah, I saw that even in beforehand. And then I think the website, there was this stat for the longest time of 67% of the decision has been already made before somebody comes to the website. That's 33% left <laughs> to help close the gap on the decisions. So whether it's making sure it's the education is happening at that kind of mid to lower in, in the buying cycle in that funnel, but also that is the way that people can either buy if you're a direct business or it's a way to connect you with sales. And that's our motion is when you're ready and when you're ready to do a proof of concept, I got to make sure that it's so easy to get you in fill out the yes, I'm interested, and then make sure that, you know, MQL to SQL flow is happening really, really quickly, seamlessly, frictionless. But without the website, how do you do that? The web should be the thing that's telling the story every day. And personalizing it when you can. If you came back and you didn't close last time, maybe I need to show you something different. And there's a lot of learning that can be done on a website. It's, it's an area of passion of mine, if you can't tell. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I love it. Well, I mean, our amazing sponsor, Qualified, also loves the website. So we always love to talk website stuff as, as much as you want. I think it's a great point about 67% of people, you know, doing the research outside and the dark funnel and all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. We recently just had an awesome guest where we were talking about paid trials, paid demos, basically. Mm -hmm. And the idea that they got a bunch of people who did the paid demos to make a hundred bucks and then, and then they went dark for a while. And then they all came back when it came to consideration phase because they had learned about it early yeah. in the thing. And that's the thing about that dark funnel is you got to figure out a way to get them engaged in that. Like you said, you're using PR to do that. You're using analysts to do that, to get on the consideration slide to say, hey, Absolutely. we're going to choose this or this. Yeah. We need to be in consideration phase. And the website is the thing that can help there in consideration phase or it can help you close much faster. Like yeah. how someone 
can navigate your website is part of your customer experience, right? Well, and I, you know, I used to, again, this was years ago, but one of the metrics that I was measured on for my digital team was time on site. And I kept, and I would like hit my head against the wall. Cause I'm thinking that could mean one of two things. One, I'm super interested Two, I am so lost. I don't know where to even begin. And I've actually left. And it just happens to be that your website is still there. It is more about what are those micro engagements that happen? What are the high value tasks that you can embed in the website so that when you do make it there, it's useful and it's helping. It's also, I've called it the virtual concierge. It takes the place of, I'm not ready to talk to somebody but pretend as though I'm asking you questions and you're giving me the answers. We know what the questions are Yep. for the most part. So just be proactive and answer them ahead of time, just making it easier. When I first talked to Craig, the CEO, and he's like, if the CEO of a Fortune 500 company came to your website tomorrow, would you know that they were there? And if they right. were, what would you do? And like, if they walked into your building you would literally send 10 people Correct. down there. You yep. would bring out the cold waters. You would do all this sort of stuff. And then yet on people's website is like, we treat every single person like they're, okay. you know, whatever. And so it, I think that there's just so much room for innovation and so much room, like you said, for personalization there. I'm curious, any things, any other things that you've seen f- over the past year, by the way, congrats again on the one year anniversary Thank or the you. past year that you just say, oh my goodness, this is something that really want to invest in or I'm excited about or even something that surprised you about about coming to a company, like you said, in the unique kind of brand journey that you were in. I mean, really the most exciting is we are trying lots of different types of formats for content. And I have worked in enterprise B2B the majority of my career. And it's the, here's your white paper, here's your ebook, and here's your data sheet. I was always having this hunch that I think, I'm not saying that the white paper is dead, okay? But the way people are consuming them are, are just very different. And we did an online survey and we got the results back and it was people want video. First, I want to be able to consume content in video. Podcast, you'll be happy to know, was second. And then everything else was kind of a far after. There was audiobooks after. And I think that just tells you a lot about the attention span, as well as we're always kind of sort of multitasking or I'm in the car. I might not be commuting like I used to, but I'm listening to an audible, I'm doing something. And so really exciting to now we're taking our white papers and we're doing an audio version of it. I can listen to a white paper and starting to create these audio files of pieces and short little explainer videos where we've all been there. We've all spent millions of dollars on high gloss videos. They don't actually have to be, you still have to look production high. There's a minimum standard for sure. There's a minimum standard, but you can churn out a lot more if you're willing to say, let's test the medium and then you can decide. And so we do a lot of our work in-house. I'm so proud of the team because it was, let's just keep trying things and see what sticks. 
And what's going to happen is that they're all going to stick, I think, because everybody likes to consume things in a different way, right? I've, I'm never too shy to admit I am not a reader. <laughs> when people ask me, what's the last book you read? Like, oh, don't ask me that. <laughs> what's the last book I listened to was last night. And so I think that was a pleasant surprise that we were able to pull that off and we are not void of content. It's that you want to have diversified content, I think. I love it. You know, the business that I chose to be in for that reason is I think yeah. B2B companies have historically just grossly underinvested in audio specific, audio forward content, content that's supposed to be audio. And then like what I call like serialized video content or audio content. I think that a big part of the reason for that is exactly what you said is like, to sit there and like read a seven page white paper and you're like, oh my God. And people talk about long form is dead. Well, it's like, you know, hey, movies are dead, except now you watch a 10 part miniseries. So it's, you're mm -hmm. actually watching 10 hours yeah. of content. In one day, in some yeah. cases, right? If you're the binge worthy type, it's, but I think it is all in how it is packaged of you can still do a seven page long form content, but that translates into an 11 minute audio file. I mean, I'll listen to that all day long. And then you can listen again and you can go back to your favorite parts. I think that is where we're going to start to see the trends going of you have to try different things and don't let legacy behaviors or muscle memory shove you back into, yeah, but this always used to work. Um, you know, my 15 year old also used to be a sweet little toddler at one point. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah. I mean, I think that we have a lot of muscle memory from the content calendar and the webinar and all these things that just like made life easier as a marketer and that those things lived on our channels and that we could get all the information of the people who subscribe to it. It's like, this is why webinars and events are the primary two things that people say like, oh, these sales loves these two things because it gives someone to call on. And it's about all the people that don't want to be called on yeah. when they consume something. Okay. They probably want something there too. Those dark funnel activities, right? You can go listen to a podcast or watch YouTube videos or do whatever. You can do all that stuff without being contacted by sales. And that is that 67% of the dark funnel that we're yeah. talking about. And if you're tagging it the right way, you still see then the marketing influence that you're having along the way. If there's 10 to 13 touch points along the way and you go, awesome, nine of those were marketing activities. So that multi-touch attribution is so important, tagging things appropriately yeah. or else you are putting things out there and going, oh, look, it got 100 views. You know what? 90 of those might have been my mother because she was so proud of the work, right? It's the, is it the right person? And that's where I think one of the most in, important pieces in my brain for marketing is the marketing operations part. You have to know how to tag things. You have to know how to understand who your customer is. Otherwise, you're checking the box. We did all these fantastic things, but did they work? You mentioned how you think about the village 
I'm, and you mentioned marketing operations, how you think about marketing operations, revenue operations, this RevOps function that is now this new thing and this kind of zipper between sales and marketing ops. I'm curious, seems like you're potentially investing in that area. Yeah. I mean, operations for me is I don't want any more budget if I can't track it. I don't want any more budget if I can't get the leads over to sales. And I've said those types of comments where just you can cut the budget if we're not going to invest in the engine behind. And so I've got a marketing operations team and a very seasoned leader who understands what the sales ops part looks like too. understands Salesforce, understands what the handoffs should be, as well as my growth marketing leader knows what it is that sales is going to want because, you know, she's in there talking with them all the time. And so we have sales ops as a function and customer success ops and marketing ops, but they are the three musketeers driving to the main goal of one view of our customer, (laughs) what is happening What are they reacting to? What are they not reacting to? And this is an area that I have seen everywhere and have talked to people at nauseum. It is not easy. And if you can even just start with, you can track an MQL, an SQL, an SAL, and a closed one, or just setting out some of your initial goals of, As I always say, I don't really care if my mom brings in the lead, but marketing spends money. So Mm -hmm. I do need to be able to say that what we spent money on either had an influence or did have a direct correlation to the closed one. And so without that partnership with sales, that's going to be rough to do because you need the marketing system and you need the sales systems. And if they're not talking or they're sort of talking past one another, is an uphill battle. (laughs) And I've seen it all, right? And that's where when I talk more about that village is let's just talk about this as we all have the same objective, right? It's Mm -hmm. our mission as a company, what we want to do for our customers and what we want to do for our interested board and shareholders and all those other things. So you have to find the balance there. But I'm very passionate on the operations side. I love that. That's awesome. Any very cuttable budget item for you? What's something that's maybe not working or something that you haven't invested in yet and you're just kind of like, I don't think I'm going to do that anytime soon? I will say one thing I've got my eye on very carefully is the usage and how we're using email and email marketing. Interesting. Because I can't tell you how many emails I get every day that... I look at the subject line and I don't even open it and I'm just delete, 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 delete. And so how are we going to break through the noise? Obviously the subject line is a very big one and goes to the creativity of you've either been run over by a bull or you're not interested anymore. I don't know. Maybe it's both. (laughs) It is going to force creativity in the subject lines and also what good content can you put in the email, right? An email is just a way to get something. So what about all these podcasts we're talking about and audiobooks and all of that? It's just, it just needs to be a couple of sentences. If I'm tricked by a subject line, I open it up and I see it's four paragraphs, I'm out. Uh, Again, attention span, 
right? You got to take that into account. And building an email database, especially with GDPR, it is hard. Yeah, it's super hard. It is really, really hard. And some of the email providers now that you use for your mass emails, they're scared of it too. So they put a lot more restrictions on what you can do, even if somebody did say they're willing to hear from you. So I think that's one that's worth watching and investing in, in the way that it might be a little different, not just writers turning it out, but more of the sophistication on, you might need six different emails. Well, I think that the idea of the newsletter being a letter that has a bunch of news in it inherently buries the lead every time, right? Seth Godin's newsletter is super popular, obviously. He's brilliant, but he posts one thing and it might be three sentences and it might be three paragraphs, but it's like singular thoughts, singular things, singular going into that. And I think that the thing with email is that like the medium is really good at delivering a single thought or something that you want to go engage with And yeah, there's a link in there if you want to dive even deeper, but I think just so much of the email stuff is, check this out, check this out, check this out, check this out, check this out. I don't even know what you want me to do. You lost me at hello. (laughs) Exactly. Okay, let's get to the dust up. Uh Uh-oh, here comes trouble. You may have heard that there was a dust up involving yours truly. And now we've got a wild scrum with fights breaking out all over the place. And it is getting Where we talk about healthy tension, whether that's with your board, your sales team, your competitor, or anyone else. Have you had a memorable dust up in your career, Christy? When I think about a dust up, it was actually just more of a personal piece of, it was about 10 years ago, I did a 360 review and my manager thought I was amazing. My team said I was amazing and my peer set didn't feel the same way. And when you start to think about as, as when you get further in your career, your sphere of influence is super important. And Mm -hmm. so if I am not presenting myself in the right way with my sales peers or, you know, people in other parts of the organization, that's when you start getting uninvited to meetings or you start talking and they, you know, you see the eyes rolling and whatnot. And so I literally that same day I got the results, I told myself, this is absolutely unacceptable. I am going to now become best friends with all of my peers and still have my team think I'm great, respect the work, make my boss look good, but realizing how important it was for my own career trajectory, as well as the influence that I could have. And it was being a year new to Telesign. It was the first thing I did was to get to know the rest of the executive board in a way that I could just feel that this is a good group. I trust them. They trust me. I am best friends with sales leader and the CS leader. And you don't normally hear that. And so I look back and think that was the best lesson I could have ever learned. I wish I learned it earlier in my career. I still have time. It was 10 years ago. And I think I've really changed my approach. I can just say it like it is and realizing, wait a minute, again, 
we sell to human beings, we work with human beings too. That's awesome. I love that. All right, let's get to our final segment. Quick hits. These are quick questions and quick answers. Just like how quickly qualified helps companies generate pipeline faster. That's right. your- <laughs> I have to say, I have to say they did a good job on their email marketing. If I'm going to call somebody out, I got an email from somebody from qualified challenging me to a game of Wordle. <laughs> That's funny. Shout out. Good job, qualified. That's funny. Right? I mean, and I thought, you know what? That's really clever. So there you go. That was an unsolicited that. comment. <laughs> Compliment. Yeah, no kidding. That's rad. Well, if you went to qualified.com right now, I bet you could talk to that person quickly. So go to qualified.com to yes. learn more. All right, quick hits. Chrissy, are you ready? Yes. Do you have a hidden talent or skill that's not on your resume? Karaoke singing. Do you have a favorite non-marketing hobby that sort of maybe indirectly makes you a better marketer? Storytelling. I love to storytell. What is your best advice for a first-time CMO who's trying to figure out their marketing strategy? Fight the good fight. Stand up for marketing. Educate. Because a lot of people look at marketing as just a cost center. You got to tell the story about why marketing is so important and needs a seat at the big kids table. I love it. Christy, thanks so much for joining. For our listeners, go to telesign.com. You can learn more about them. Sweet website. It looks great. Earn your customers, continuous trust, yeah. all sorts of really cool brand design and, uh, and work. a couple months done. old too. So it's we're super awesome. excited about it. Yeah. Thank you. And I saw the Great old team. one and I've seen this one. So it's kind of fun to, to, to see the transition. See the evolution. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Any, anything else to plug? Anything, any final thoughts here? I would just say, don't be afraid to try things out. Fail fast. This is one of the reasons I love marketing, especially digital marketing, is try a bunch of stuff and you can see pretty quickly if it's going to work or not. Keep marketing a well-funded machine. (laughs) I love that. Indeed. Awesome. Thanks again, Christine. We'll take care. All right. Thank you. The ManGen Visionaries is brought to you by our friends at Qualified.com conversational marketing company that's on a mission to transform the way B2B companies sell. Go to qualified.com to learn more.